Hey everyone, just a reminder that this is a mental health podcast, so some content discussed may be triggering for some. If you're not feeling up to it, hit pause, come back another day, we're not going anywhere. If it is an emergency, please don't hesitate to contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. That is a 24-hour service. Thank you. Turn up the talk podcast. Tackling mental health together. Hey guys, welcome to Turn Up The Talk, live here from the Radio Hub Studios in Alexandria, Sydney, brought to you by the Clavelli Hotel and the Doyles on the Beach down at Watson's Bay. You're joined by Pat Clifton, Lockie Drew Morris and Luca Moretti, and today we're joined by Ben Higgs, the founder of the Rise Foundation. How are you, Ben? Good boys, thanks for having me here. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. How are you, boys? Great. Yeah. Another episode down. Looking forward to it. So how have you been, Ben? What have you been up to? Mate, uh, been good, been really good. Um, things have been a bit different for us, uh, pretty much like everyone. Uh, we were probably 90% um, face-to-face before COVID hit, you know? Mm. So, um, you know, I much prefer what we're doing with the courses and workshops and stuff, getting face-to-face with people so much better. Yeah. You, can, you can feel the motion in a room and yeah, you can exactly. start to share and you're all in it together, but unfortunately we can't do that. Um, you know, so Zoom and stuff, it's, it's been different. Um, it's allowed us some time to restructure a few things, sort of, sort of forced our hand because you know I was, I was aware of technology and moving forward we'd probably go to online sort of formats, but I was hesitant to do it because I love the face to face. But the hand's been forced now, but it was quiet for a while. But getting busy now, I think people are starting to really understand the importance of looking after, looking after our, our health and our mental health. You know, so it just COVID sort of forced forced that onto everyone, but it's it's you know. Look at the positives, it's good in a way. So you mentioned you've moved online, so that's through the Rise Foundation. Yeah. So tell us a bit more about that. Mate, so yeah, I started the Rise Foundation uh, officially, I think, about four years ago, unofficially yeah. seven or eight. Um, it sort of grew organically. It was never a, never a concept that was something that I had planned and it was always going to happen. Um, mate, I, I'm a wharfie by trade. I drove cranes for a few years and then worked on the waterfront for 21 years or lot. Um, we started with treadmill runs and community events, and then it just sort of evolved organically. The more we sort of dipped our toes into the waters, the more I realized that there was a big gap missing um, in our country, and that's around mental health education. There was, you know, everyone talking about this awareness and stuff, it was good getting people talking, but I saw that there was no real substance behind that talk. Um, a lot of people, you're just making it up as we go. So we sort of filled a gap there in, in the education side. So we run courses and workshops, you know, reshaping people's conversations, reshaping people's idea of mental health and mental illness. Uh, yeah, and just helping people understand that that's shit we all go through and shit we can all help each other with. So mm. yeah, it's been good. It's been an interesting ride. It's, um, you know, before COVID, I was probably spending two to three weeks a month out of the house, uh, working all across the country. Predominantly in mining, it's just where it ended up at, at the time, um, which is well needed. Guys spending weeks at a time away from their family and friends and isolated, a lot of drinking going on. You know, you're down underground in a mine for 12 hours, you come out in a room on your own, you a lot of time to think. Um, so it was good, and that's that sort of come to a bit of a halt, but as I said, it's allowed us to reshape things and really enforced to us that we want to go back to 
where we start and what we're passionate about, and that's the community stuff, all the community work. So, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be exciting. You you mentioned your mental health workshop, which yeah. I was lucky enough to do one with you via Zoom, which was online. Yep. And you also mentioned there's really not much education in regards to the school system and stuff like that. So for people listening, are probably thinking, what is a mental health workshop? So if someone's interested, what kind of yep. does the course entail? Yeah, so I look at it, you know, I always try to put it back and give a physical example because we're also aware and indoctrinated with the physical, looking after ourselves physically. Um, you know, we place such a high importance on your St. John's first aid. Um, you know, the physical first aid, we're in that, you're not training to stitch someone up or put plaster on their leg or prescribe medication. Someone's got a cut, you're putting pressure, you're elevating and getting them to a doctor. And our workshops are the same. It's recognising the signs in someone or yourself um, and then starting to have a conversation with them but really reshaping how we have these conversations and then, you know, putting some little tools or techniques into place to, to best help the person, whether it's getting them straight to care or whether it's just sitting there and actually listening you know what questions to ask to really find out the problem and, and letting the person know where help is available and that help is available so it's it, a lot of it's common sense when you when you start to think about it and when you start to hear it but it's just stuff we've never been taught you know I, I grew up with a mental illness um, I, I live with bipolar type 2 bipolar and I look at it the same as a kid growing up with diabetes or asthma they're just illnesses but kids with diabetes and asthma um, you know from from primary school, you know, you put an asthma puffer out, no one cares. Teacher sometimes has it in the drawer. Kid with diabetes, you know, they're taught from the very start what to do, keep themselves safe, healthy and happy, their diet, insulin, all that. Kids with mental illness aren't given that. You know, you, t you talk about mental illness or you put a couple of tablets out and people get a bit funny. Um, so it's all about changing the idea about, you know, these workshops are all about changing that mindset about it, that it is just another illness and we can get help. I'm not saying these courses are a cure, but it's just about you know giving us some some confidence and, and some confidence and, and some really some drive and some passion in that we can help people and help each other because it affects us all. Mm, mm. What do you think the best way to go about that is? Obviously the workshops and we had Mark Mitchell on the physio. Yep, I know Mark yeah, really well. Mark spoke about we need to get to the point where you know going to the doctor about your head is the same as going to the physio about your ankle. Yep. So how do you, what do you think the best way is it through education? Is it through people like yourself and big names coming out and saying, yeah, I went through this. What do you think the best avenue? I think it, it, it all comes in together, uh, you know. Um, I got, not, I didn't get into strife. I had a few heated chats with people a couple of weeks ago because I, uh, I called mental health the new AIDS. Uh, and my, my reasoning behind that was, you look at how we treated people in the 80s with AIDS. They were outcasts, you know. Mm. No one knew anything about it. You know, the, the way we thought it was transmitted, all of that, the way we thought people had to live with it. We look back now and it's horrifying. You know, we've got Magic Johnson on TV, runs the Lakers. You know, a black man living with HIV back in those days, that never would have happened. Never would have had him doing commentary on the basketball, that's for sure. I personally believe that we're going to, in 20, 30 years, we're going to look back on mental health and mental illness and how we treated people with it and be horrified. And, and that only changes through people talking about it. You know, and that's what that awareness is good, you know, uh, but I, I really wholeheartedly believe that education creates the change, you know, um, and that's, you know, we were doing the treadmill runs a few years ago, and that was the idea of getting all your footballers and your TV presenters and stuff down is that 
one, they attract people, people want to come, and so it allows us to get that message out to more people. But kids come down and see, you know, we had Sam Burgess, we had Sonny Bill Williams, we had every big rugby league player down there. If those blokes can talk about the times they've been through and how they've had struggles and they've faced adversity but, and they've gotten through it and they're still these big, tough blokes, shows these kids that, yeah, I can be that, you right. know? Right. I think a big one with that is Tyson Fury. The world heavyweight champion of the world. I mean, my favourite. You, you my favourite example. You can't get much more macho than the heavyweight boxing yeah. champion of the and world. You know, I use him as an example all the time, especially like when I'm talking a blokey bloke sort of thing. It's like, well, you you think you're not tough or you're weak or you're a girl or whatever you talk about. Heavyweight boxing champ talks about it. Yeah. Like, yeah. tell him he's not a man. Yeah. Tell yeah. him he's not tough. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, if he can go through it, Sam Burgess, perfect example. Greg Inglis, all these blokes, you know. It's and it's and it's what's needed, but that I think that education because it changes, it changes the way we think about it, you know. Yeah. And whatever form it's going to come in, I'm not saying, you know, that we have the fucking magic cure or anything like that. But I, I think our approach is, you know, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a psychologist. I'm, a, as I said, I'm a wharfie by trade, I'm a crane driver. But I, I've also got a little bit of education behind me, but I've also got a lifetime of lived experience, and I think that's been heavily undervalued you know people actually talking from experience that they've lived this mm. and you know and, and they've you know survived everything until this day you know and I think that plays a big part in it and, and that's where it's good we've got these people coming out now and talking about it yeah. because it opens that conversation up you know newspapers and and the media can't can't ignore the fact when these big celebrities come out and talk about it and that opens the doors for us yeah, yeah exactly I think as well like psychologists are great 100% and they're great but I think Sometimes, and this is obviously to a lesser extent for people that are going through stuff, sometimes you just need to chat to a mate. Just to get it off your chest, just yeah. to get it out of your just head. Just a real conversation. Just a real conversation. Like we said yeah. it the other day that we were talking, the three of us, like, a thought in your head is so much worse just in your head. Once you verbalise it, I know from my own, ex own experience, you feel so much better. Yeah. So I think that's, for me, mental health, like we can start having those conversations between mates. I think it's going to solve... Yeah. a lot because so many people don't want to go to psychologists because it's the stigma and they don't want their mates to find out or their parents they don't mm. want people to think less of them and it's just like we need mates like yeah got you yeah. for life we're doing a great example yeah and supportive like mates too you know that's the yeah. other side of it that's there's i think there's two parts it's we need to encourage and support people that to talk up about it yeah but it's also our reply to them mm. you know it, it's how once someone mm. talks the response they get back is going to determine whether they talk again and, and open up or they just shut down completely yeah, exactly. and carry that burden themselves, you know? Because I think that's the worst thing. You're talking to someone and they go, oh, yeah, tell me what's wrong. You tell them what's wrong and they go, like, sink into their chair and they almost judge you. You know yeah. what I mean? And for you, for you trying to share yourself, I reckon that's the worst thing that could have happened. Definitely. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think the workshop that I keep touching on it we did was awesome because you kind of... Like you said, it's not the answer, but you know, since then I've had people who have messaged me and I just feel that little bit more comfortable in myself yep. of just to not even give an answer, just to listen and yeah. just kind of have my two cents. But you like you don't have to have the answer. That's it, because we don't, you know, and, and that's, I like to simplify it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a simple person myself, but I think a big part of what stops people from actually replying back or being supportive when someone opens up is because we shit ourselves. Yeah. I don't know the answers yeah, here and I don't want to say something yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah. So. Mm -hmm. And, and I th for me, there's two, it's two simple ways. You know, if we see something, someone's not themselves, it's, would you like my help? Mm. Would you like my help? You can't force someone. Yeah. Or how can I help? Yeah. By simply asking how to the person, 
I don't have to know the answers now because you're going to give them to me. Mm. You know, if you tell me something's going wrong, well, how can I help? You know, yeah. you might rattle off five things. Well, you know what? Yeah, I can sit here and listen and yeah, I can answer my phone whenever you call me, but I can't diagnose you. I can't give you medication. And I can't be with you 24 hours, but hey, I can do these two and I can help you find someone who can with these things. Mm. It takes that whole yeah. burden off me of having to know the answer. None of us know the answers. The psychologists, you know, they don't know all the answers, but they're a good help. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the medication's not a cure, but it's a good help. Mm. You know, I, I, I like to use the example, the weight vest. You know, I said people train in a weight vest. Yeah. Um, and all those different weights are things that go on in our life. And we all carry that vest and we all have mental health. You know, you're not eating well, you add a weight in. Your relationships aren't good, you add a weight in. Finances are up to shit, you add a weight in. You know, you're drinking too much, add a weight in. It doesn't seem like much at first, but you carry that weight vest around for a couple of days and starts yeah. to get heavy. And all you can start to think about is that weight vest. The more you think about it, the heavier it gets, you know? Mm. But we can put all these things into place in our life that, that start to take that weight out a bit, you know? And, and as good as talking to our friends is and, and a psychologist, they're not taking the weight out, really. They're holding it up for you and taking the weight off a bit. Yeah. But I think it comes back to us to actually start implementing things in our life and to start taking control of what we do in our life. You know, you start eating well, you start exercising, maybe drop some relationships that aren't working for you, you know? Maybe change jobs if, if that's the case. Get your finances in order and they, these weights will start to come off and everything comes a little bit lighter. Yeah, I think that comes from accountability as well, just yeah. in yourself, you know what I mean? If you start making excuses for yourself, I think that weight, that weight vest you were talking about gets fucking that much heavier, you know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. And it's con consistent work. Like I'm I'm no prophet, I'm no messiah. Like I um I, I'm I'm the king of bad habits. Yeah. You know? I, I I'm the king of it. I'm king of slipping back into bad habits. Um you know? But it's work. It's work. Yeah. I know it works. I know it's it's hard. Sometimes the harder the more you try that, you know, it's like that quicksand analogy that you just keep sinking further and, and that's when other people the beauty of other people coming in to help you, you know, yeah. it's there. Yeah. Growing up you mentioned you were diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Yep. Can you tell us a bit more about your childhood growing up and your experiences with mental health? Yeah, mate, I, I, I'm the first to say I had a good childhood. You know, I, I, I can't knock my childhood at all. I grew up, you know, we weren't rich, we weren't poor. Uh, Dad was a wharfie. Mum did a bit of bookwork and stuff. She was a bookkeeper. Um, I had older brother, good school. You know, I grew up Malabar, um, you know, walk over to Maruba Beach. I uh, didn't have the traumatic event, you know, and oh, look, I'm probably 90, 99% of people, you know, that, that don't have that big event or that in their childhood. Um, but from as far back as I can remember, I was just a bit different. Um, I thought things differently. I, I perceived things differently. I reacted to things differently, you know, um, and it was, it was just normal. It was just me. Uh, as I got a bit older into my teens, it got a bit harder. Um, uh, I didn't know, you know, I'm, I'm 41 now. When I was in my teens, it was, there was none of this talk, you yeah. know? Mm. Um, for me, it was just normal. And the only way for me to really feel comfortable with myself, the older I got and, and comfortable around other people, was, was substance use. Um, it just brought the barriers inside me down. I could, you know, I could be the outgoing person around other people. I, I, you know, I could, I could feel more comfortable in a space, I could feel more comfortable with myself, and that was the only way really that I found that I could do it. Uh, it didn't work, it didn't work for me. Um, doesn't work for a lot of people. Uh, I, I, I'm 
guess I'm lucky again in the sense that I was never the type that got into trouble when I, when I was full of drink or anything. Um, I was just the type that, you know, was probably the drunkest there. Yeah. Because the more comfortable I got, well, the more comfortable I got and the more it'll, I'll keep going then, you know. Um, I got diagnosed with depression in my late, mid to late 20s. Um, again, very lucky. I, I've been with my missus since I was 20. Um, and she pretty much forced my hand, you know, which is the, the support networks, having good support networks and good relationships is invaluable. Um, an unlucky part of that, I suppose, though, and, and like a lot of people with bipolar, is uh, I was misdiagnosed with depression. So for, for if you, people that don't know what bipolar is, um, most people's ranges of emotions and thought processing sits there between happy and sad. Uh, I sit there to manic episodes and depression. So my emotions and thought processing fluctuates in a higher range than most people. Um, you know, and like everyone else, most of the time you're just here cruising along, but I can dip and I can skyrocket. Um, people with depression though, what are they medicated with? Uppers, really, essentially. For someone with bipolar, medicated with uppers, those spikes up, those manic episodes. Um, a bigger downs. Yeah, and it's a yeah. very extreme high, and then with a higher high, yeah. a lot of time comes a lower low. Yeah. Um, I, I, so I actually relate to that really well. I do the exact same thing. I mean, I got diagnosed with anxiety and depression, misdiagnosed with anxiety and depression. I got, um, it was a couple of weeks ago, I think, I got uh, diagnosed with type 2 bipolar. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I, I was on this medication for a while when I was on the uppers. And the ups were, you know, I felt great. Felt like, you know, new person. Yep. And then as soon as shit hit the fan, I mean, mate, I was the lowest I've ever been. And I think, you know, that for some people as well, just getting the right help and um, take it again, take an accountability of it. Like, I, as soon as the doctor told me that I had type 2 bipolar, I fucking shut myself. You know what I mean? And I was kind of in, I was like, no, nah, I, I don't have bipolar. Because the word bipolar is so heavy. Mm. Don't you reckon? Yeah. It's so just yeah. like, as soon as someone says about Polly, like, oh. Because like, we, we don't know what it really is. Exactly. People don't know exactly. what it really is. People yeah. don't know what it is. So, yeah, I, I just relate really well to what you just said yeah. then. I mean, the, the, the manic and, you know, depressive episodes are just, yeah. And yeah. If, you know, for anyone listening as well, just, yeah, it's normal. You know, people have it. And yep. um, I, I spoke to heaps of people because I went into a, um, into a clinic for a bit. And some people don't get... Some people don't get diagnosed to that, you know, 50, 60. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because people don't want to know. People don't want to know that there's something wrong with them, even though they, they know they do. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 They don't yeah. want to actually be told physically that yeah. they have it. Like, yeah, like yeah. Because they're in denial. Yeah. They're in yeah. denial. Yeah. No, nah, I don't have it. Yeah. And so, yeah, I was, I was re-diagnosed in my early 30s. Yeah. Um, yeah, with bipolar type 2, the same. Yeah, yeah. Um, which... Type two bipolar means you're more likely to have more downs than highs. Uh, type one bipolar, more highs than lows. Uh, and although it didn't change anything for me when I was diagnosed, um, because it was still the same, it's not like oh, now I know there's a cure. Mm. The beauty I, I found, what really helped me is those closest to me now knew. Yeah. They, but now they, now they knew what, they could go and research what it was and how best to help me. It really opened up that avenue. Um, and for me as well, I suppose, because, okay, now there's a name to it. Yeah. Now I can look into it. Uh, and now, now it's, okay, this is what it is. Okay, sweet. Now I can start to put the work in, you know. Um, 
But getting that diagnosis, I, I think if, if anyone, um, like you said, if anyone's really struggling with stuff, going and seeing that professional and, and just finding out, because the medication could be wrong, your diet could be wrong. There's so many different ways to manage it. I know people that don't take medication, good on them, all the more power to them, I do. Um, you know, I take four little tablets every morning. Uh, you know, and it's just my personality. I like to make a joke of it. I go to, you sort of understand this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I go and do a workshop with people and I pick the crowd, I, especially older people love doing it. You know, bloke walks in, bald bloke, tattoos on his head and that, and they're already looking at me. Um, <laughs> And so I'll put me tablets on the, just a table in front of everyone, you know, and I'll start talking about 10 minutes. I'll just go up, I'll take them, and I'll just keep talking. Won't, won't even mention it, won't even blink an eye. And you see it every time. Someone goes, what, what was that? I say, oh, one side don't kill myself, the other side don't kill all of you guys, <laughs> you know. And then you sit, like, start moving away. You know? <laughs> but it's to do that. It's yeah. to just make that joke yeah. of it, you know, because, like I said, I put that asthma puffer there, none of them blink, yeah. none of them care, you know. Yeah. But it just breaks that down. Well, now, well, yeah, it's four tablets, but so what, you know? Like, most people in the room are probably taking medication for something. Yeah. You know, everyone's happy to have multivitamins. Everyone's happy for the asthma puffer wall. They're no cure. They're just a safety net. Um, and mine are the same. But the sooner people start to realise it's like that, the sooner it's going to be easier for people just to be open and accepting about it. And I think once people are more open about it, they'll actually start to realise just how many of us are affected by this, whether directly or indirectly. I think we all are indirectly. You know, everyone's had bad days, everyone's had shit times, everyone's made mistakes, all of that. How much it affects us is sort of up to us in part, I think, but we can all start to learn from each other. And that's what I love, the beauty of what I do now. It's, here's so many good stories, like sitting here now, yeah. just hearing that, you know. For me, that makes me feel so good because I was there. Mm. I, was a bit, I was there myself, so I, I'm, I know I'm not alone in my journey now, you know. and. You know, just hearing everyone talk their stories, and that's the workshops we do. We like to open it up at the start. You know, sometimes you get someone that wants to just go 15 minutes talking about all their life, and it's hard, especially on Zoom, to try and reel them back in a bit. Mute them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's sort of a bit dicey, you know, but in a room it's a lot easier yeah, because yeah. you can make a joke, can't yeah. mate, wrap it up, talk yeah. to you later, you know. But hearing people all, and then all of a sudden everyone realises, well, I'm here with 15 other people I've never met before, mm. but shit, your story's a lot like mine. And yeah. there's parts of your story like mine too. And that's when we start to realise that we're all in this shit together. You know, and another beauty, I suppose, with COVID is that we're all in it together. None of us had any influence over it. We've all been hit the same, mm. you know, whether it's out of work or fucking anything, sickness, whatever. We're all in it together. You touched on it before about like um, people being open to the idea of being affected by mental health, working with people working with a lot of people, do you think that's sort of the biggest barrier to that sort of stops people getting help? Or what do you think the biggest barrier? Yeah, of? it's funny, like all the workshops we do, we, we always do a section on barriers because, you know, the stats tell us, you know, one in five Australians every year is affected by mental illness, experiences a mental illness, you know? It's one in five, but we're looking at three to four million people every year in this country. Only 35% of them will receive professional help. So if you think about, you know, if four million people in this country with cancer every year, only 35% of them receive professional help, there'd be riots in the streets, there'd be outcries, you know? Um, but it's, it's the term mental health, I think, you know, and, and you know, explaining to people that we all have mental health, you know, good or bad, just like our physical health, 
but some of us experience mental illness, some people only for a period of time, some people for life, whatever. Um, but the barriers that get put up are always the same, you know, and the majority of them are because of the way we treat each other. You know, that word stigma, you know, whether it be scared of losing your job, scared of people not talking to you, um, you know, being told to suck it up, princess, losing your friends. That's simply because of the way we treat each other and the way we speak to each other. We can change that. And we change that, which is fairly easy in a sense. You know, you look at how we talk about race and sex. You know, we've changed, there's still a long way to go, but it's changed so quickly and so effectively over time. But we haven't changed the way we speak to each other in here. And, you know, we all probably come from the same type of, type of area where it's very masculine, very tough, very macho, footy, surf and all that. Mm. You know, there's no real, real, real room to show weakness, to show, you know, that you might be struggling or whatever because it's all about being the toughest and all that. But when we start to realise that each of us is going through shit, you know, and the real tough ones, Tyson Fury, you know, the ones that actually go through shit but then pick themselves up and, and grow from it and get stronger, they're, they're the real tough ones. And I think it'll change. I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic. We're a long way to go. But we weren't talking about this stuff a couple of years ago. You weren't having footballers come out and talk about it. You know, yeah. so we're getting there. With the Rise Foundation, you mentioned growing up, there wasn't really one traumatic experience for you. Was there a kind of definitive time where you were like, fuck, I've got to make a change and start the Rise Foundation? Or was yeah. it just kind of over time? There was a couple of different ones. Um, now, I talk about these conversations, about having how important it is to have it. Um, be 10 years next year in May, uh, one of my best mates was going through a hard time uh, and re was reaching out and I brushed his call. I just didn't answer his call. I uh, never rang him back. Because um, oh, I was scared of what to say. I had no idea what to say to him or what he was going to say to me and I was petrified. Even after everything I'd gone through, um, I still never took his call. And then I found out he was dead. Uh, and I, I, I've got to live every day the fact I'll never speak to him again. Uh, I'm not saying, I'm not self-centered enough to think that it was my conversation that was gonna save his life, but who knows? Who knows what, just how uh, much of an impact just having that phone call with him might have made. Uh, that hit me hard, hit me real hard. And I, I, I've worn that, you know, I, I wear that every day, but not as hard as before. Then we lost uh, another bloke from the beach, Ben Roper. Um, and that's when we said, you know, it, it's time to make a change. So we started the treadmill run down Maroubra. Um, and the community support we saw from that was, was, was amazing. I'd never seen anything like it in my area. Um, you know, we started with two treadmills at Maroubra Beach. The next year it went to seven. The next year we're at Ramwick Racecourse with eight, I think. Uh, last year it was in over 500 gyms across the country. Um, and from there, you know, sort of dip the toes in the water and then um, it was that that made me realise I needed to make a, a real change in my community. Uh, my wife was pregnant with, with our first son um, and I didn't want my kids growing up like that. For me, it was, uh, we're going for the scan on my wife's first scan with the baby and I'd been out all night and I'd turn up pretty much off my face to the hospital. I thought, what am I fucking doing? You know, like, what am I doing? And so that was really the start for me to change myself. Um, and then, yeah, just going around the country and meeting people's stories, hearing people's stories. 
Uh, and then I got invited to go to America on a talking tour. This before we'd really started. It was, it was in its infancy. I did a two-week talking tour of America. And it was funny, in America, the only people really, really talking were doctors and professionals, you know? And then a couple of us got up from Australia and were talking from lived experience, and you could just see people's eyes rolling, going, fuck, what's this, you know? Like, people coming up to us and just saying, Did that same thing had happened to me, or I've been through something similar. And hearing that, you know, a kid from, you know, Malabar, Maroubra, could be in the, you know, I was in Atlanta, in the States, and hearing people, my story's sort of the same as yours, really enforced to me that we need to start talking about our life, you know, in a, in a really positive, constructive way. Um, yeah, and got back and decided, you know, I'd been a warfare for 20 years, didn't want to do it, hated the job. Um, and I thought, what was I? I think I was, I was about 38. But if I don't change now, I never will. And I'm going to be that 60-year-old bloke that's filthy on the world because I never took a change in my life. And, and made, the, made the jump to, to take it on full-time and one of the best things I've ever done. Well, I really ramped up two years ago, it'd be two years ago, um, very shortly, lost another really, really good mate. Um, one of my best friends and one of the guys I really looked up to in life. And that's when we decided to take it to another level to really start to push this out there because, you know, it was missing and, you know, I, I'd, we'd sat around a couple of us and between, I think, four of us, we'd lost 25 friends to suicide. I'm like, well, we're only a group of four friends here. Like, what about the rest of the country? You know, and it's happening everywhere. Um, and, I, you know, I don't think we'll ever get to zero suicides, but I think we can make a fucking dramatic change in it. Um, and, and that's it. Just, as I said, it grew organically like that. And, you know, we've, we've, we've grown within ourselves over that time. Um, you know, I, I started teaching the first aid courses because that was the tip of the spear in the country. But over time, I've realized that that hasn't really evolved and I haven't evolved with it. So I changed to the response course, um, which I think is going to be the next best thing. Um, it, allows, it allows me as the one instructing and the group to focus on what's important to us. It's not a, this set structured thing where Oh, we have to learn this, but no one's really interested in it. Well, what's the point? I can give you a textbook. You can go learn that. Um, with the response, I can, I can run it for, you know, I've done it for underground miners, for blokes like us sitting in a room, for teachers, for police officers. It allows us to mould it, and that's what we need. It's, this can't be an off-the-shelf product because it's not an off-the-shelf problem. Just spoke about the response courses. Where do you hope to take the Rice Foundation? What are the aims for it? Mate, yeah, we've got, we got some big plans coming up. We've just had the response course certified by Fitness Australia. So any PTs with Fitness Australia can now get their CEC points, their development points. It's also accredited with um, for sports science and physios. Um, I work very closely with, you know, my, my Two of my business partners are both PTs. One owns a gym, one's got his own PT business. And there's a real gap missing there. We want to plug gaps. Um, you know, people go to a PT or go to a trainer. A lot of the time you're not just going just to pump weights. People need someone, a bit of guidance, a bit of a mentor, and you're already comfortable with the person you open up. Um, the same as, you know, women going to a hairdresser, bloke, a barber, going to get tattooed. You're there with a person and you're there for a personal reason and you find yourself opening up and these people are sitting there with you. They've got no idea. So we created what's called the Safe Space um, Initiative. 
So we train places up as safe spaces like the old neighborhood watch. So we've got a couple cafes, gyms, uh, tattoo shop now. Um, building places in our communities that people going through a hard time or struggling can actually go and have a conversation with someone. So trying to strengthen communities, you know, that, that's where we want to go to. Um, you know, the going to mines and all that, real, it pays, pays the bills. You know, the money's there, which is good. We've always known. We're, we've been completely self-funded, you know. Um, you know, and trying to run all this, plus a Sydney mortgage and two kids for myself, it's getting a bit hard, um, you know. But, you know, we've always done it because that's what we want to do. Um, but our goal is to set these places up and then they fund themselves. So like a little jar on the counter. Someone buys a coffee, they throw a dollar in. Well, that money piles up and then we can then... The, Cafe can say, well, we've got a new staff member, we can train them more. You know, Ben's here every day having coffee, let's get him trained up because he's always here. The more the community buys in, the stronger that community gets. And I think that's when we'll see the real change. You know, because it's, you know, before social media and all that, it was communities, villages, being there for each other and helping each other out, you know, and, and that's what I'd like to see. Um, I don't think it's coming from upstairs, which I'm in the government, really, at the moment. They, they, they're happy to throw money in, but does it really go to the right places? I don't know, maybe me cynical. Um, but I think the real change will come from the ground up. I think like, like you said before, it's such a personal thing. <clears throat> people don't want to, like, are you okay? They're great and they're doing a lot of awareness, but I think people are more inclined if they get a personal touch. It's, it's all personal. Yep. Like people, like money from the government, don't get me wrong, that's fantastic, but I don't think it's the solution. I think, like you just said, it's got to be the ground up. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's just, yeah. Yeah, you know, we, you know, it's, we, we, we've, we do a couple of schools. We've been to some schools and done, you know, from sort of central Queensland all the way down the coast. That's good because, you know, you're getting these kids from a young age. Um, I'd love to see, you know, mobs like the NRL taking a real, yeah. real stance on it. And not just having the NRL teams, but getting out here to local footy clubs. Mm. You know, getting these kids... Coaches, you know, I, I coach kids footy myself. I, I've got the under nines, could you wombats? And, um, you know, these kids come to you and you can see there's shit going on, whether at home or at school or whatever, you know. And for coaches to be able to spot this, you know, and I, I, I've done it with our coaches. I said, hey, don't just go straight to the parent, go, something's wrong with your kid, because we don't know if it's the parents that are causing this. Something could be going on at home, we don't know. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's just these people that, we look to for guidance. Like I said, your PTs, your football coaches and that, they need, we need strong leaders in that. Mm. And I think, as you said, that's gonna come from us doing it. You know, if parents want this in schools, go and speak to your principal. Because, you know, I, I lob up at a school and say, hey, get us in, I get the look, you know, like, oh, yeah. not having you, I got expelled from one high school and <laughs> hardly went to the other, you I know? Got a it didn't do much. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about, um, yeah, a few years ago, you went crazy and did a walk from Park. Oh, I'm trying to forget it. Yeah, He's trying to get us that. to do the same thing. I'd love to do it. I would love goes, to do it. Let's walk from Queensland. I'm like, what? Yeah. 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 Queensland yeah. to Sydney. Well, I'd love to. I didn't hear about this. Oh, That's why I didn't tell you. because. So I woke up one morning. <laughs> I was living at Matraville, right? Um, you know, just next suburb on from Maroubra. Um, and a bit of one of those manic episodes yeah, yeah, where you yeah. think you can achieve anything, yeah. do whatever you want, <laughs> and it's completely normal, completely normal thought to you, but to everyone else, it's just <laughs> out of control. Um, 
I woke up one morning, put my shoes on, said goodbye to my wife and kids and started walking to Queensland. I just started walking. <laughs> what are you doing? So I'm just gonna go for a walk. Where are you walking? I'm walking to Queensland. And she half thought I was taking the piss at first and then realized I was serious. Hadn't even put a hat on. Um, yeah, and it just started from there. And so, you know, she sort of settled me down and got me back inside, rang one of my mates. And she said like, this is in his head now. And she knows what I'm like. I get a thought in my head, I've got to do it. And he was like, well, you're gonna, you want to do it now? I was like, yeah. And so a couple of weeks went past and you know, the, the, I wasn't you know, up there anymore. I was just cruising on normally. He's like, you still want to do it? I was like, yeah, let's do it. So we actually drove from Sydney to Gold Coast, mapping out our route. And when we, you know, we were half, we half knew what we were doing, we half didn't. We didn't know what we'd bitten off. And to show the thought process, we got halfway up there and then we decided to go Gold Coast to Queensland because we're like, no, nah, it's downhill. Like in our heads, it's downhill, so it's gonna be easier, you know? Um, and so we did 60 Ks a day for 15 days, um, sleeping in swags, but it was good, you know, like, so there ended up six of us all up. Um, Silky and Bush, it, we're ringing each day and we're doing like interviews and stuff like that. We'd walk into little towns, you'd see the, you know, the sign for the local radio station, you'd ring them up. We turned something that was potentially negative and fatal into something really positive. Best thing, one of the best things I've ever done. Um, don't do it. It's hard. <laughs> my feet, yeah. My feet were like the colour of your shoe, the soles, but with black rot through it. Like my feet were rotten. I had to strap all our feet. One of the boys ended up in hospital with a with blood poisoning. Um, was there any training involved, sorry? Heaps, heaps, heap, heaps of walking. We were like, Mark Mitchell helped us a treat. Okay. Um, so I was training up at E-Lab, told them what we're doing. And again, you get to laugh, people laugh straight away. But he put us, he gave us this, you know, he, they trained us, but also gave us like a morning routine to warm up. So heap of, heap of hip movement and stuff like that to really get us right. Um, you know, lucky that, you know, I'm friends with the guys from Body Science, so they just dumped a heap of stuff on us. Mm. and. And you know, we went pretty crazy. We're like, if we're gonna do it, let's do it right. So we hit up shoe companies. We're like, this is what we're doing. Give us some shoes, you know, like uh, South Leagues Club, the other uh, footy club. They gave us boxes of stuff. We had Darren Brown, the ex-South player. So they, um, they just gave us boxes of stuff. So, you know, everywhere you go, you see a South sticker on a car. No matter where you are, there's always a South sticker. So we said, any South sticker we see or that, we'll load them up with gear. And you'd be surprised the number of people whose letter boxes are painted in South colors. Uh-huh. <laughs> So we just laid their letterbox, but we were doing shit like that to make it fun for us because, yeah. mate, you're walking 12 hours a day with a bloke. I tell you, the conversation runs out pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You got, after a day or two, you've got nothing to talk about. You know, we've, I think it was our fourth day, we all turned on each other and it got pretty heated. Um, yeah, we had to stop, pull over, put the marquee up on the side of the road and it was sort of all right, just let each other have it. So we did about a good 15 minutes, we'll just like that into each other. <laughs> you're doing this, you're doing that. Like, all right, everyone's sweet until the boys weren't sweet. We're like, all right, you two walk, just walk off together, you two. <laughs> sort of. Sort it out on your own. <laughs> we packed up, kept going. Um, the next night I almost called it off. One of the boys had shin splints. Um, one, of us, one of them had rung his missus, she come up to meet him. I, th I thought they were gonna go home. A couple of us had had arguments. But you're just worn down, you're fucking on each other's nerves. But the next day, we all, we all, you know, we had a feed, we had a beer. We'd we'll stay in a pub that night. So we had proper showers and a proper bed, got up the next morning, all right, everyone's sweet, you know. Mate, I tell you, it's a, 
so good. It was one of the best things ever. Like, so rewarding. Mm. We come, we teed it up. We got to the north side of the Harbour Bridge, and I think there was like 80 people there waiting for us, and they walked over the bridge and up with us. Um, you know, and all our kids came to meet us. You can't, you can't, you can't put a price on shit like that. Um, there's no way you'll get me to do it again. Come out. <laughs> yeah, you had a pretty special um, guy join you for one of the legs, didn't you? Oh, Dennis. Yeah, mate. We um, when we're doing it, I, think, I don't want to sound like I'm bashing governments and councils here, but they did everything they could to stop us from doing it. Um, if we had done it on push bikes, you wouldn't even need a permit. Yeah. Because we're walking. They just made it hard. So we, didn't, we couldn't even walk down the coast, which was the quickest way. So we had to walk Gold Coast to Byron, Byron to Grafton, and then come over the Great, like, into Maitland, sorry, into Armadale, then over the Great Divide and Range, and then back through Maitland, back over to the coast and down. Why couldn't you go coast? Because they just made it difficult for us. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, so they tried to send you home, did they? They tried to get us so that we go, oh, don't yeah, worry about yeah, it. Yeah, so yeah. we actually had to give them a document of... Every street we're walking on, so we're walking from, you know, street A to the corner of B, then down B to D, then down D 150 metres to E, then back across E to G, and from Gold Coast to Sydney, we had to map every part. So they just made it difficult, but when we were, we'd put it out there, a, a lady rung me, you know, on the north coast, um, and she was telling us about her husband and all this, he's going through a hard time and all that. He'd love to join us for a day. And because we had the support vehicle, we said, sweet, get him to join us. He's, you know, he's, he was in the army and everything. We said, sweet. One of the boys would just jump in the car and he can join us. Well, when he's, we're all there, we're camping at a footy club that night and he's coming to join us. We've all got the swags, two of the boys in like the camper support vehicle. We've got the mad new sleeping bags. Mm. He's just put up a tarp, like just attached his tarp to a fence and pegged it in the ground, just slept under there under a blanket. like. We're going, look at this boat now. <laughs> but then the next day, Dennis was telling us he'd done eight tours for the army um, from Timor to Afghanistan. Um, and his job was like a scout. He'd, he'd go and sort of camp out and hide and, and watch a, a town or a village for a while and then give in to it and then they'd come in, you know? Mm. And you've got to remember, this is the first day we've ever met this dude and we're walking through the back hills of like Byron and that. And he's like, yeah, and I found out that the easiest way to get info was to give the kids lollies. And he said, so we did that in one town. He said, we came in the next day and the kids were laid out dead on the road. So there's a sign to the village, don't give the kid, don't talk to the soldiers. Mm. And he said, that's when he pulled the pin, he came home and said, no, I can't do it anymore, our kids. And the army wiped their hands of him. Our government just wiped their hands of him, so we don't need you anymore was left to his own devices, you know, and it was hard, so hard to hear. But then, you know, he'd been going through his own stuff and then was telling us that he'd planned a, what he was going to start doing. He's getting local indigenous kids and kids that had been in trouble in there and taking bush and get them back to their culture and get them back into the bush and with nature and reconnected. Um, you know, and so hearing that bloke's story, you know, we been in touch with him and his missus since then and that's what he does now. You know, but hearing someone's story that they'd done this much for our country and and our country just wiped their hands of him, you know. We met another bloke that was in Maitland just living in the back of his car. It was just by chance. He said one night a month he books himself into the motel so he can shower and uh, and it just happened to be the night we were there. 
You know, and these are the little things that pop up when you don't expect it that just sort of fall in your lap. Mm. Which, you know, and it was good because we had like two days left. So we're like, mate, what size shoe are you? I take these like, yeah. you know, here's a yeah. shirt, giving him all this, all our toiletries we could. We're like, mate, this is the least we can do for you because he had nothing, you know, he's living in his car. And these, these are the people you meet when, when you get out and actually go around and start to talk about this stuff and you're open about it. People, you attract like-minded people, you know, and, and you start to hear that there's so much we can do. There's so much we can do. We can donate money and all this, but sometimes it's going to just going and listening to someone. You know, for that bloke here, for him, you know, just to be able to sit there with us and have a couple of beers, have a feed, mate, hear some stuff, but just for him to be able to tell his story, sometimes that's that's the most important thing for people. And I, I yeah, you just won't get me walking with you, but I'll happily support <laughs> you. Yeah, you won't say me there either. <laughs> I want to do it. But um, what about for people who can find you, social media, Instagram, Facebook? Yep. Um, Rise Foundation Australia, or I think it might even be Rise Foundation Ost. Um, I'm bad with the social media. Um, yeah, but yeah, find us there. Risefoundation.net's a website, all the information there. Um, you know, we put courses up. So we do every third Wednesday of the month. We're, we're doing a course on Zoom at the moment, uh, the mental health response course. Um, we're just going to leave it rolling like that till. If people keep booking in, we'll keep doing it, you know. Um, for us, it's, it's, you know, it's a couple of hours out on a Wednesday night, you know. I'm not doing anything anyway at the moment, really. Uh, good, good excuse to get away from the kids for a couple of hours. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you can find us on there. We've, we've also just launched, a, a, like, a members section of our website. So for people that can't attend any courses or workshops or it's a bit too intimidating or, you know, they get a bit anxious about it, um, we've got a subscription site, so... It's full of like 10 minute, seven minute videos, little breakdowns of what we talk about. But, uh, you know, there's resources there, there's, you know, websites, phone lines, um, apps, podcasts, books, blogs, all of that. It's also for, you know, people need it at midnight or whatever, they can access it. Um, someone's out on a mine site, a kid sitting in his bedroom at 10 o'clock during the day, doesn't want to speak to anyone, he can get on, they can find a bit of that. So that's just us sort of adapting to the times, you know, and that's what I love what you guys are doing because this is just another way for people to start to hear about this stuff, you know. They don't have to be seen like they're doing it, they can just mm. listen to it, you know, and get all that into them if, you know, if they do have a bit of fear about people finding out, well, now they don't have to worry about that because it's just in their ears, no one knows, you know. Like you said, I saw a post from um, all the brothers over in New Zealand, yep. you post collaboration, not competition which I think is a good thing, you know, we all want the same thing. So yeah. thank you for coming on and taking the time to speak to us. It's been awesome. And Thank um, you, boys. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers bro. Thanks, well again. Done. Thanks again to our sponsors, the Clavelli Hotel and Doyle's on the Beach down at Watson's Bay. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Turn up the talk podcast. Tackling mental health together.